like this week watching TPC Sawgrass with the the overseeded rye and like soft conditions, ridiculously fast greens, is it's not good for golf. You know, that's not the way that golf course should look in March. And it, it would no. play a lot better if it was Bermuda. In 1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers Who Played of Leith, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Who Play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leith Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. Welcome back to another Silver Club podcast. Colin and I will get to part two with Andy Johnson in just a moment, where Andy talks about how pampered the tour players are, what he really thinks about the TPC of Sawgrass, and Andy's even going to talk about his own great playing ability and how he qualified for the United States Mid-Amateur Championship. But before we get to that, we just couldn't do this podcast without the help of the Silver Club Golfing Society. You can check out our website at silverclubgolfingsociety.com, and you can also see what we're doing on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. Now, if you recall in part one, I've finished up my comments about the USGA and Colin is going to pick up right where we left off and tell us how he thinks the tour pros feel about the USGA. Enjoy part two with Andy Johnson and thanks so much for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Sure. Look at you, USGA loyalist, card carried. No, I'm with you. I love the USGA. What I was getting at earlier was that they they never, ever take on the Masters. That's like, that's an invitational. The US, but the US Open, they, they, they have a sense of entitlement about. And they they know, it's just interesting to me that if the US Open was like run by a private club that everyone wanted to play and that you could literally not get invited back, they have purchased effectively the silence or you know there's no criticisms of 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 the masters in that course which you which is <laughs> which at times is every bit as unplayable and unfair with sort of green speeds and tilt i, I, and, I think you're completely right completely and there right. they are so i just wish there was they weren't so you know sort of it's, it's a little disingenuous to sort of constantly go after the u.s open and yet it's like it's 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 on there, there's really no one there to sort of essentially push back they're not sending they're not sending a tweet to fred ridley uh you know hey fred your greens are too fast slow them down like they're not they're not doing that (laughs) this uh i was uh i was digging in a little to this topic uh, maybe a week or two ago and what i found fascinating is if you look at all these these players that just bang on the usga all the time if you go far enough back you find all these like effusive praise tweets for the USGA and their great championships when they're amateurs. And it's, and it, in my head, it was like, so what, what's changed with this situation that when you were an amateur, it was like, this is the greatest golf experience that, you know, anybody can have is playing the USAM or playing the Walker cup. And then all of a sudden the flip switches, you get on the PGA tour and then the USGA becomes the worst organization ever, you know? And it's like, Oh, because like you don't actually run it. Like you run the PGA Tour, 
you, right. you you know it's an organization that you don't control that when you complain you know like nothing it drives me nuts what goes on with like the tour and course setup and course design like at you know at trinity forest this year or last year uh, they were really worried because players caddies were you know kind of bad mouthing the course after they had a caddy championship there and in in response the pga tour forced the course to raise the cut of their their fairway to slow it down and then they they moved tee boxes up to take like integral features of you know corin crenshaw arguably the greatest golf course architects of our generation and ever they take the core features of this golf course away it's like they oh yeah you neutered know them they neutered yeah. them well it's like th- think about like the the idea of like you know a 24 year old uh tour pro knows more about setting up a golf or designing a golf course than you know ben crenshaw and bill Coors. it's absolutely crazy and then and then likewise like you know these guys that go these old school guys that set the golf courses up for the pga tour like, oh, you know what? I know you guys put this centerline bunker on uh, this par five to to make it really interesting. But you know what? We get, we're going to take it out of play by moving this tee up so every player can carry it. You know, it, it's just it's unbelievable coddling. At, and, you know, they didn't like a centerline bunker at, at TPC Boston. So they complain and get it removed for the next year. It's just, it, it drives me insane. It's crazy. You know, <laughs> a, a, along those same lines, though, as... You know, along those same lines as you, you know, kind of transitioning a little bit, you know, we could we could beat that dead horse all day long. But kind of talking about uh, USJ, USJ qualifiers, uh, I'll even bring in, you know, you mentioned Trinity Forest. There was a uh, an article I read recently. The author's name was Kevin Moore. He's a professor down at the University of Georgia. And uh, it's it's all about the compelling qualifiers uh, of the USGA and and the golf courses that are going to be played this year. And and Andy, I, I want to get your take a little bit on this because you know, you've played in the mid am. You are a great player. Uh, hole in one, holes in one yeah. recently. Like a- like average player. You can you, know. you can you. I played with you, Andy. You can flat out hit it. And uh, you know, unlike a lot of people out there that talk about the game, you talk it and you walk it, but. But really, this article was all about, you know, the compelling qualifiers and these, the, you know, some of the great designs that people can get out there and play if they want to qualify for the USAM or the Mid-Am. Uh, you know, there's a great course uh, like for the USAM uh, Whippoorwill up in New York. It's a great Ross, Donald Ross, Charles Banks design. Uh, Trinity Forest will actually be one of those uh, venues. If you were going to go play a qualifier and and or even for you, Colin, like if you're telling your your team, like, hey, go play a qualifier. What's what's the basis of that venue for you? That it, it's the it's one of the best deals in golf to uh, travel somewhere, play the Sunday afternoon practice round, and then thirty six holes the next day for a subsidized sort of one hundred and fifty dollars, maybe plus caddy and a little meal money. That's that's a pretty good that's a sort of a pretty good tourism there to golf architecture tourism exposure so so here's the the back end of that if you're if you're serious about qualifying you want to go to these places that fill up quick because they also have a bunch of uh, schmucks that shouldn't be in the qualifier that's they're, they're just there to to see the golf is that course your, so is that I your secret like going, yeah 
<laughs> yeah, well, I, I, it's, uh, I don't really qualify. I might be one of those schmucks that shouldn't be there at the USAM qualifiers these days, because, because, uh, because uh, sixty-seven, sixty-seven. I, I haven't had that in my bag in a long talk, time. Talk about your mid-am experience, though, a little bit. Like, where did, where did you play your qualifier? Where did you play the, the mid-am? And you know, where, where did that all take place? Yeah, so I, uh, I played my qualifier at. Uh, at a place called what is it Ravinia Greens in Chicago and uh it's a golf course that ironically for for me the golf courses that offend my sensibilities from you know what I write about on the fried egg are actually the the best tournament golf courses for me because <laughs> I I really like bowling alleys when I'm playing tournament golf and and water because when I play well I I get the ball on a string I hit it really straight I hit it really, really solid. So then, you know, it, it takes so many, so much of the field out of it. It's pretty, um, pretty it ironic. It's a cool, cool experience. You know, you, you beat your head against the uh, the wall with these USGA qualifiers. And I feel like, uh, unfortunately, I haven't played in one since, uh, but uh, it, qualifying because of the, the time with this. But, you know, I've been so close so many times. Um, the year before, I qualified. I played down in Indianapolis, and uh, I think I was three under on the 17th hole, stripe a tee shot right down the middle, and uh, I doubled that hole. And then on the 18th, hit it right down the middle, made another double. And I mean, for anybody that's played in these qualifiers, there's nothing worse than than that feeling. But then you couple a four-hour drive back to Chicago, and it, it was. It was brutal. I don't remember anything from like the drive except just like the loathing of like how the hell did you not try to drive into the trees, right? (laughs) Yeah. In in, uh, in 2011, the uh, U.S. Amateur qualifier was at New Haven Country Club about four minutes from my house. And one of my players uh, emailed me or texted me. He's like, you should get in it because he was going to play in it and a couple of the guys on the team. And I hadn't played a turn. I played one tournament the previous 10 or 15 years and so I did it, and I uh, went out in the morning, shot two hundred. I shot, I shot sixty nine. I was two hundred par. I was three. I was an additional three more under par. I was like five under par through about twenty seven holes. And my wife, who's never seen me, had never seen me play in a tournament. She came out to watch me with like six holes to go, and I immediately dumped one in a bunker, left it in the trap, doubled it. I like, I just limped home and shot uh, seventy one and missed by about three. And, that was, uh, <laughs> that was, I was actually, I, I thought I even still had a chance. That's, that was when I thought you still could shoot around par and get in. And of course you needed like five under. That's yeah. the problem. There's, That's- it's too tight. It's too, it's too, even in the Met section, my, my captain just texted me the other day. He was trying to choose between Whippoorwill and uh, Hackensack, a, a lovely, uh, uh, Charles Banks course by old steam shovel banks in uh, New Jersey. And he asked me which one to pick. And I said, well, which one, whichever one's longer, he's a long hitter. Like they all are. And one was like, unfortunately, that's the, um, that's unfortunately that, you know, that's where that's going to benefit him. That's, that's what it comes down to uh, in those amateur, in those, in those uh, yeah, par, local qualifiers. Par really means nothing nowadays. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, it, 
you know, talking about tournament golf, I think it's a perfect segue into, you know, really the the, the big topic of the day for me. This is this is TPC week, uh, the Players Championship, uh, you know, the, the the fifth major, if you will, quote unquote. Um, and we, we have to talk about really what makes a great tournament course. And, you know, and just first off, is TPC Sawgrass a great tournament course in your mind? Um, I think, uh, we, we touched on it earlier. I, I think at its time it was, it, it was completely different than what, um, these guys had seen, um, before it, it got in their heads. It did everything that we were just talking about. And, but unfortunately due to like a lot of reasons the distance has gotten out of this control and it, I mean it's become a shell of what it used to be because of that it's a horrible place I would never recommend a 15 handicap go play TPC Sawgrass they're, they're going to just get their it's their even been softened over it's even been softened in. over the years yeah. though uh, you know with all the agronomy and the faster greens like you look at you know the in the late 80s and the 90s and some of those slopes like off to the the back left of four has been softened a lot the ball doesn't come off there as hard and and uh yeah, there's been there's been tons of tweaking it's like uh you know it's like a lady in in la who's got all this uh, plastic surgery you know it's got a tasteless clubhouse it's just to me that it might be a good tournament course like i I will admit I do like the sort of 17th hole and, but the, this, an 18 is kind of cool. It's, that's a tough hole to finish on and, and pretty much everything, everything up to that is, is forgettable. And, you know, I remember I interviewed Tom Doak 15 years ago and he said, when he started the business model was to hire Pete Dye to push around a bunch of swampland. And that's what that place is. That thing is manufactured all the way and they've had they've sunk tremendous resources into it sand capping it redoing it year after year and you're never gonna you're never gonna sort of oh this and it's notoriety is always going to give it that sort of that interest of sorts but like that's about to me that's about as bad as that's about as just sort of un on an uncompelling <laughs> uh golf as it gets I'll, I'll tell you the the saddest thing this year is them doing this overseed and and touting how they ha- how long it's going to play and how soft it's going to play it's like that's not what is challenging about golf which i think i and this is my opinion firm and fast when you have to hit really great golf shots is what's challenging about golf like when it's soft it's just Everything plays bigger. It plays it's easy. It, it's easier. Decisions it's easier. Require. Yeah, I I dove into the the variance. So the scoring variance. So the you know how you know high and lows of of round. I'm not explaining variance very well, but I'm not a mathematician. But anyways, like the way I look at variance is like at a golf level is hey, this is what separates good from bad players, right? And a given week, like it allows the great players to separate and the, the golf courses that play had the lowest variance in terms of major championships were consistently the ones that were the wettest, the softest conditions. So think Baltusrol in 2016, um, Bell Reeve last year. Um, and, and that to me is a, is a barometer of championship golf is when, 
when you see that separation, you think about Phil and Henrik Stenson at Troon two years ago. Those two guys were the clear and away best players in the field that week, and there was nobody else even close, right? And uh, and that's kind of the way I start to think about golf. Uh, you know, at the championship level is that firm and fast conditions and a little bit of wind is what really like juices up the, the variance. So we saw a ton at Shinnecock, uh, actually Chambers Bay had a ton of variance. Um, I was surprised to see whistling straights had a lot of variance, but these are all places that are windswept, you know, sandy sites that play firm and fast. Yeah, And what mix, I mean, along those lines, like what mix of fairness quirkiness, uh, caliber of winners. One stat that I, I found very interesting since they've you know moved this event to the TPC Sawgrass in the 80s, there has not been a repeat winner at TPC Sawgrass. And, you know, is that a is that a, 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 a bonus mark for the course or is that a knock on the course or is that, you know, is it just a course that, you know, more people can win on or Phil Mickelson didn't even want to play the event. I mean, who knows if he's even, you know, uh, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a lot of talk either way about it. Well, there's no question. It's the strongest field. Right. And then you've got, um, you've got uh, a, a, an era where, Basically, anyone can win at any point. Every single is there a single person teeing it up this week who has like other than maybe like private things we don't know about personally that couldn't win this event. You know, Nicholas had to beat about five guys. I love Jack Nicholas, and but like they talk about the guys he had to play against. It's like let's be real. Like it was a bunch of guys, a bunch of drunks, a bunch of chain smokers, a bunch of like. The tour was not, <laughs> there was not this kind of depth that you, there weren't people from all around the world. Um, and, you know, and then, so there's no question you got to be a great player to win that event. But going back to, you know, to Andy's point, like it's an incomplete test. You play on a Lynx, you play in wind, you have to flight it. You have to hit three quarter shots. You have to, you have to control how it, how it lands, how it releases. There's so many more variables. It's the difference between sort of algebra and multivariable but, but calculus. At, but at the same time, though, because there hasn't been a repeat winner, I mean, let, I'll, we'll put that the on the uh, you know complete the completely flip the script on that. There are venues that Tiger Woods has won on eight times. And many times back to back or back to back to back, like Firestone or Bay Hill or whatever. And would you maybe say that that those golf courses are so plain and mundane that they don't, you know, that they, you know, that the good player just kind of always wins there? Or 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 how would you kind of justify or you know the the, the difference in those type of venues where where you get you get all the variance? So I I think. Uh... I think those, so I, when I look at championship golf, I've, I've thought about this a lot and I'm, I'm interested in your guys' take on this. I think that golf courses, the best championship golf, I, th- I think the best championship golf courses, and this is not necessarily what championship golf courses are today, but I think the courses that allow any style of play to have a chance are the ones that I think are the most compelling because I want to see you know, like power is one advantage. It's become at so many courses such an advantage. Like it's not surprising to see that Tiger, you know, won the most, you know, won eight times at Bay Hill. Bay Hill is, you know, a golf course. If you're a great 
iron player, especially a mid to long iron player, you're going to play well at Bay Hill. So Tiger Woods is the greatest iron player of all time. So it makes sense he would win there a lot. Firestone, same same sort of situation where you know ball strikers win at Firestone. So Tiger Woods is going to win a lot. Like it's this whole like Tigerfication. Like I think about this as like what Augusta did with with when they Tiger you know Tiger proof the golf course. It just played into Tiger's hands more. If you make something longer and narrower, the better like the better ball striker is going to succeed. It's why I like at an amateur level playing on bowling alleys because I hit the ball well. You know I'm patient. I hit the ball well. Like so if you if you do that, but like. A golf course that, like, we see this at, at the Open Championship. I think those types of golf, Carnoustie was unbelievable to watch this year. And and I didn't feel like any player was disadvantaged, you know? Power was still a great advantage. It's always going to be an advantage. But precision was was just as big of an advantage. Like, being able to know how far the ball was and what... What Colin was saying, it's multivariable calculus, not algebra. In, in during the time that you've been um, producing and 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 building the fried egg, what is what have been some sort of sort of milestones or achievements for you that 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 sort of that you take a lot of pride and pleasure in? Um, I guess I think I think one of the most uh, satisfying aspects of it is. I get a lot of emails from people um, that are like, you know, I, I'm I've played golf my whole life, and uh, I love golf so much. But somehow you've, you know, you've shown me a way to love and appreciate the game in a completely different way, and a you know, in a deeper way than I ever thought was possible. Like where, you know, people have started to pay attention to the golf courses they're playing just, you know, it's just, just about open and looking around, not, not just thinking about what you're doing. You know, it's like, I think that's one of the cool, cool aspects of it is that I think that the idea of, you know, making people appreciate what they love more is, is a, that's a, that's it's kind of one of the things that I uh, take a lot of pride in. Nice. What's, um, what was your first conflict of interest? <laughs> well, the PGA Tour went to the golf course that I grew up caddying at, like the, my first job in golf. And, you know, a lot of the guys that, that, uh, that, uh, are, that I worked with still work there. So, I, you know, I had to be very, I was, you know, I was very polite. Being polite, right. Yeah. You didn't compare uh, Cypress Point and... TPC Heron Bay. Uh. <laughs> you know, I, I actually played a, uh, I played competitive tournament at uh, the Dixie Am used to be at TPC Heron Bay. And yeah, you've played there. A, you've played there. It's, it, it's been, it's been a It's a disaster. <laughs> you know, I realize in hindsight, growing up as a kid, I'm in high school, I'm watching the PGA tour every year in the winter, especially like they would always go to that Florida swing and it, and I realize now, looking back, that like they were basically just advertorials for real estate communities every year. Like the Honda was like it would go from one just okay. totally crappy residential golf course, and then they would be there for like two or three years, and Freddie Couples would win, and and then they'd move on, and it was just like one after another of just like an infomercial for housing, and and actually, and now looking back, like 
it was like a month. The, the whole Florida swing was a month of just terrible golf courses. Maybe Doral was cool in the old days when it was the blue monster, but I, I spent, I spent years of my life just watching terrible golf courses on TV. <laughs> this is something that people give me. I, I say all the time is these courses set a horrible example. It's <laughs> an awful example. And people are like, oh, yeah, somebody's watching. But that's it, it does. It, it just is a horrible like this week watching TPC Sawgrass with the the overseeded rye and like soft conditions, ridiculously fast greens is it's not good for golf. You know, that's not the way that golf course should look in March. And it, it would no. play a lot better if it was Bermuda because it would it would run. You know, it wouldn't be, it, it, it's just, it's like a, yeah, I've heard a lot of the guys there. talk about Those it playing, guys, playing easier and playing the way it was more, it was designed more because it's such target golf where you got to hit to, to portions of the green. And, uh, yeah, it certainly, certainly makes, uh, uh, it certainly makes the golf course different with the overseed, but, but, uh, you know, to kind of, to kind of, uh, wrap these things up, you know, I know you travel a lot, uh, around Andy and, and, you know, some of your you're you're on a road trip right now. You're in California. You visit some of the world's greatest golf courses and and architectural spots. You know what? You know your one of your most recent road trips. What are you know like your top three courses on uh, a recent road trip? So I I went to uh, I went on a trip through the southeast. I hadn't played a lot of golf in the southeast uh, outside of Florida, um, and. I, I was uh, I was I was really lucky to play some really great places. Um, a couple places that just kind of stuck out. I think Aiken Golf Cl- Club is like one of the coolest places. It's it's twenty three dollars. Everybody that's anywhere in the vicinity should go see it. It's it's neat. It's fifty eight hundred yards, and it's really hard. It's not easy, and uh, they got some unbelievable green complexes, and you're never hitting from a level eye. Then on the on the private side, I would say like Yeamans Hall was a really great experience. Country Club of Charleston, but um, also in Aiken, Palmetto is awesome. I have really loved Palmetto. I, I I mean, what a cool little spot that is. Um, and that's those as, green greens are as, amazing. That place is as English a golf club as it gets in the United States. The members all sort of generally walk and use trolleys and there's a Friday game, the dog fight. And they have this elegant Stanford white clubhouse. That's sort of, it's kind of almost like kind of empty. And <laughs> to me, that place is as, uh, as, as timeless and exquisite and understated that to me is on the, on the all time charm list. Yeah. You know, the, one of the coolest things too is open to the public the week of the master. So if you pay up for the, like I'd re- I'd pay I'd play there ten times to zero for four hundred dollars that they charge over Whistling Straits, which charges four hundred dollars. Like it would be a question in my mind. I would play Palmetto ten to zero. Nice. You, you gotta love those the the affordable venues and 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 all those great venues that you know kind of off the beaten track. Maybe you you, you haven't heard of, but uh, you know one one place that a lot of people have heard of. Uh, and you're going to have an, a little event there. Talk to us about this event you're having at Lawsonia. Yeah, uh, your your co-host loves the name, the Spring Steve Shovel up at uh, at Lawsonia. It's a uh, it's a Langford Moreau golf course. 
you know, they, everybody talks about, you know, the proficiency of Banks is with the steam shovel, but, you know, Langford Moreau might have been, might have been the best at, with it. And uh, so it's, it's up in Green Lake, Wisconsin. We're doing like a Muirfield style day, 18 holes of best ball in the morning, big lunch, uh, 18 holes of alternate shot in the afternoon. So it's exciting. It'll be a first event, first Wait, get and together. When, when is that um, event? And are there any spots still available? Uh, it's it's in May, depending on when this podcast gets released. I think we're pretty much full filled up. We might have a spot or two, but uh, we're we're like in in the final uh, final couple registrations. I know a few people have texted me they're registering today, so they might be it might be filled up. Uh, Andy, Andy, it's it's not a Muirfield day if there's four ball, all right? Like that's it's Muirfield's a two ball only course, so you can either play foursomes in the morning and the afternoon, or you could play foursomes and singles, or singles and foursomes. But uh, all right, so just, gotta go singles. You know, you're you're wrong in your description of the format, and it's steam shovel banks is the architect in the east. You might say there's an east coast bias, but. There's uh, a huge East Coast bias. It's not too late. It's not too late. I change it to the boxcar. Call it the the Lawsonia one day. Call it whatever. Just the the spring steam shovel. Come on, you could do better than that. You know, this is you're you're like the as East Coast as East Coast gets. You know, you think that everything in the East. You know, if it happened on the East Coast, it's you know. You know, when did banks start designing golf courses? He start, He left his job at Hotchkiss. He worked under Rainer, and he finished twenty-seven Rainer courses that were partially constructed. But, but when did he start building his own courses? Twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one. Whippoorwill, so, Tamarack. So, he, so one could say he, he was ripping uh, off Langford, but the but Knoll. He, one could say he was ripping off Langford Moreau. They were designing with a steam shovel way before, <laughs> way before. They and were definitely like, they were definitely architectural cousins. I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not going to we don't have to debate whether they're both. By the way, they're both very talented. Both were bold. But yeah. Banks happens to have the uh, the nickname, the sobriquet of of steam shovel. So you're, you're sort of there's a little bit of branding malpractice here for your event. No, there is. There's just, just a, a little Midwest, you know, <laughs> Midwest charm to it. You know, given it. it, it you know, Lasonia is probably a better golf course than any of Banks's courses, too. Let's be a good discussion to have. Well, look, there's no doubt that that will be a uh, that's a great event, and uh, you know you're you're gonna have you're gonna have a, a huge following on that. You know, we we, we mentioned that you can uh, you can be reached at the uh, online at thefriedegg.com, thefriedegg.com, and uh, where else where else can we uh, see you, Andy, on social media? Yeah, you know, social media. I'm at the Fried Egg on uh, on on Twitter and uh, Fried Egg Golf on on Instagram. I couldn't get both of them. Never start a company that's named after a common food. That's one of my big pieces of advice to anybody that's thinking about starting a company, unless you're you're serving fried eggs as a restaurant. Um, but uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we've got a newsletter that goes out three days a week, a, pod, a couple podcasts. So, yeah, it, whatever whatever type of golf you're into, we probably do a little bit of uh, coverage of it. So thanks for having me on, guys. What a great insight into the architectural mind of FriedEgg.com's Andy Johnson. We really appreciate having him on. Stay tuned next week. We've got another fantastic guest in Shane Bacon 
Fox Sports broadcaster extraordinaire. You're not going to want to miss that. Thanks so much for listening to this Silver Club podcast. Colin and I will see you back real soon.